Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, I, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall, both campuses, uh, if you need some help with that. And uh, if you're gathered together at the Lompoc campus, we are so glad that you have joined us today. So whether you're here in Buellton or in Lompoc, if you need a Bible, uh, and you forgot one, uh, you can borrow one of ours. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers at both campuses will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that Bible and you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, and three of you think that it's great. Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. 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 So we're going to meet with Jesus today. And I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. We've been in this, uh, this story uh, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the first book in this library of book we, we call the Bible. And I want you to turn to Genesis uh, 19. And I'm going to read just a few verses from 19. And then I'm going to tell you the story from the text uh, for the sake of time. And um, I want you to look at, at 19 verse 23. And you can say amen when you're there. <clears throat> the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all of the valley and all of its inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went up early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the mist and overthrew when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ancient text that you've left for us to wrestle with. It is a part of our heritage of faith of wrestling with truth, wrestling with God. The very family that you would birth the Messiah from, Israel, literally means one who wrestles with God. And so let us wrestle with the text today. Help us, because I'm convinced, Lord Jesus, if we fight well, others will win. If we wrestle for truth, if we ask, what are you showing us? What do you have for us? We won't be slothful in our pursuit of truth. We won't be quick to be offended, but we will pursue you above all things that's transcendent above, who's designed us 
for your glory and the good of others. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Before I get into the story, if you will, of Genesis 18 and 19. Oftentimes when we look at these particular stories and we've been trying to figure out from the time we started Genesis, are, are these merely fables? Are these fictional stories? And, and there are even some scholars who maybe would consider themselves Christians. One of those was an Old Testament professor that I had in college that quickly said, hey, listen, these are fictional inspired Stories. They, they believe they have weight and authority. Uh, the clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson, uh, who uh, some would say is not far from the kingdom of God, teaches through the Old Testament, uses these particular stories as archetypes for us to learn from and look from. And maybe he considers them to have authority in our lives. But whether they have authority in our lives or not, we have to wrestle with the question is, is it true? Did it really happen? I was listening to a couple professors talk in yesterday evening on the geological discovery that happened in, I think, the 19. 19- 20s and then geologists uh, uh, over the years in the 1960s, one of them from UC Santa Barbara, somebody say amen. <laughs> Uh, James Kennett uh, discovered a particular part of this valley and and from biblical history uh, a lot of times many geological discoveries uh, have been found these ancient cities because they actually use the biblical text and historical documents and the language of the Bible to coordinate where these particular cities were and what they found was a city that set on these sulfur reserves that had been destroyed and how they look at the geological evidence that James Kennett, who a secular university said that this biblical city must have existed and experienced a catastrophic event like no other time in history must much like what is described in the biblical account. And so you will have to argue with Professor James Kennett from UC Santa Barbara on whether or not this was an actual city or not. And you have to wrestle with the geological evidence of this particular find. And that's for your own discovery, your own study. Uh, I'm just a simple man from Eastern Kentucky. All right, all right, all right. And, and so what I want to talk about is what the biblical account gives us. And you have to wrestle with the implications of that Account, But let me say to you that Christians do not believe blindly. Uh, this idea that Christians have blind faith, not based on reasonable logic and evidence, is a farce. It is an ad hominem. It is a move to attack because Christians base all of their belief on strong evidence and logic and worship the Lord with their heart, their mind, their soul, and their their strength. Somebody say amen. Amen. 
to that. Paul will even make this case. He'll say everything that we believe is in vain and foolishness above any other fool to believe such a thing unless Christ has been raised. And then he goes on to build his case. He says that Jesus appeared to Peter and then he appeared to the disciples and then he appeared to more than 500 people who many of you, you could go talk to when he was writing first Corinthians 15. He said, you could go talk to me. You could talk to grandma and you could talk to this person and the stories and they were there and their behavior changed. Because if you see a dead man, a dead man walking, it will fundamentally change you. Somebody say amen to that. And it did. It turned the disciples from cowards. It turned the disciples from, from people who were, who, who were cowards and, and, and moved away from the message of the gospel to become martyrs for the message of the gospel. They would give their lives for the sake of the gospel and they would turn the world upside down and build much of what we have today through this thought that Jesus is king above all things and we worship him and him alone. That's why they said this is the good news of the gospel. Gospel is good news, but it was it had this connotation of the announcement of a king. There's a king. He is here. And that is the message of the gospel, that, that there is no king but King Jesus, and we follow him and him alone. And he says, if that's not true, then everything that we believe is in vain. Everything about these scriptures is in vain. You can toss them aside. You don't have to believe them. But if Christ has been raised, then you must wrestle with the text, all of it. All of it that Jesus says, all of the Old Testament and all of the prophets have been pointing to me. The New Testament will say that Christ is the fulfillment of all of the law. Every promise, every single Romans uh, 9 and 10 will begin to describe this for us that ultimately all of it is one story beginning to end. I've heard this somewhere before, all pointing to the person of Jesus. Or in other words, the entire Bible is all about Jesus. Then you get to this text, you get to this city, you get to this ancient place, this, this city that's synonymous with the judgment of God, this, this city that is synonymous with debauchery and sinfulness and sexual immorality and anything goes, this city that from 2,000 years before the time of Christ, and now more than 2,000 years removed from that, this ancient city is synonymous with cities that lay in ruin very quickly. People use even modern cities. You, you mentioned, you, you say this city, and I won't say this city, uh, but you know what cities I'm talking about, right? You might say, oh, that city, oh, it's, it's gone to hell in a handbasket. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. This has been in our cultural uh, kind of lingo and language for generations. But why and what is this particular story? And how do I find Jesus in this text? And then what do I learn from this text? It's like, how, how do I wrestle with God bringing judgment to an entire 
city. The story goes like this of Genesis 18 and 19 is that uh, Abraham looks out of his tent and he sees three men. And these men startle Abraham in such a way that he, he runs out to them and he says, listen, no, no, I want you guys to stay with me. I, I, I want to I feed you. I, I, I'll wash your feet. I, uh, the, 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 the host, the main host doesn't even say I'll get a servant. You begin to see the, the themes of the scriptures. Uh, Abraham says, no, I'll, I'll wash your feet. Three men, but one of them he begins to call Lord. And he begins to interact with this figure who's come outside of his house underneath this grand oak tree, sitting up on top of a hill, looking out over the valley. We remember the story that Abraham was with his nephew Lot and their, their kinsmen and their, their shepherds and their herdsmen are beginning to fight amongst each other going, hey, hey, this town's not big enough for the both of us. We don't have a big enough tent. And, and, and I, like, I like to be in charge and I like my seat. And so Abraham doesn't fight with uh, Abraham, formerly known as Abram, doesn't fight with Lot. He says, listen, no, I'll divide the land. We'll, we'll look, we'll divide it in half and I'll let you choose. And somehow in God's providence, uh, Lot chooses the land over the valley. But it says this, he says that he looked out and saw that the valley was pleasing to the eye. And that's why he chose it. And yet the land that Abraham begins to inhabit is the very land that God promised. We talked about this a few weeks ago that, that ultimately it, it, it's interesting that somehow God is working together a story, even with our choices, even with our decision, he's still working his plan. How does he let Lot choose? And yet Abraham still gets the place that God has promised him. And so he's standing there. His, his, his nephew has went down into the five cities in the valley and he's heard rumors. He, he's heard about what's happening in those cities and the ethic and the immorality and, and, and uh, the debauchery and, and, and the lack of human dignity that goes on there. And he sees these three men and the Bible begin to tell us that these men are potentially angels, but one of them is the angel of the Lord. And what the Bible begin to show us is that this is what we would call a theophany. And, and many would say this is God appearing as a man in the Old Testament and actually f being there physically with Abraham. Many scholars would go on to, to move this, not just from a theophany, but to a Christophany. This is Christ appearing. Well, why would they use that? Because Colossians says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So any time that God appears as a man in image, as a, 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 a in human form, if he takes on a form or an image, it is Christ. And so we see Christ, the, the pre-incarnate Christ meeting with Abraham. I don't understand it can't wrap my head around it, but God chooses this one family, Abraham. This is the starting point for all that we have today. And Christ appears to Abraham like a man. 
You begin to follow the themes and, and you'll see this throughout the Old Testament that you'll see the angel of the Lord appearing in the Old Testament. This is God appearing like a man. In the New Testament, we find Jesus is God has become a man. It's no longer shapes and shadows and forms pointing forward, but the full culmination is Christ becoming a man and living amongst us. Abraham has this conversation he begins to feed him. This is where the Lord tells Abraham, he says, where's your wife? He says, well, she's in the tent. And he says, I want you to know, I'm going to come back a year from now. And by that time next year, you're going to have a son. And from the tent, Sarah laughs. Are you kidding me? I'm an old woman. She goes, no, 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 are you, uh, what do you mean? My time has come and gone. She's up in age. And she says, well, like, I waited for this. I schemed. And we read the story of how she used a handmaiden to try to scheme and plot in her affliction. Plotting can become scheming when we try to, to even create and do the things that we think God has for us our ways, meaning God's way is higher than our ways. And we trust him and we trust him with the means and the ends. Somebody say amen to that. Because sometimes we go, I, I had that position. That was my spot. I, I should have had that. And, and, and God wants me to have this. And so then I will justify any action that carries on through in order to achieve those ends. That's exactly what Sarah has done. But she laughs at the idea of her actually having a child. She's moved away from the promise of the Lord. Even though God has spoken to Abraham and said, through Sarah, through Sarah, I'll produce your offspring and I'll create an everlasting covenant with you. Sarah laughs from the tent and could you imagine laughing at God? <laughs> this, the, the Lord himself says, why was Sarah laughing about that? I didn't find anything funny about that. And he says, I'm telling you the truth. Sarah comes out and the Lord says, why, why did you laugh? She said, I wasn't laughing. It's like you were, but this is going to happen. I know it seems preposterous, but nothing is impossible with me they begin to dine and they eat and and then there comes a point where the lord is with the council these two mighty angels and he says to them while abraham's standing there he's like should we let in should we let abraham in on what we plan to do about sodom Abraham's like what it's like two parents talking about the kids should we let them know we're going to disneyland or <laughs> what <laughs> right like, and yet the angel of the Lord begins to start this conversation with Abraham. And this is important. God is the initiator of the conversation. I want you to hear that God is the initiator. Even for you begin to question God, he's the one that prompted you to have the question. Why? So he can prove to you just who he is. Let me say that again. If you have questions about God. He's the one wooing you. He's the one pulling you. He's the one prompting you to have the question. Should we allow Abraham to know what has happened with Sodom? Because the cries of the people who've been oppressed, the cries of the people that they are manipulating, the cries of the people that, 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 that they have, uh, have manipulated and 
taken advantage of, their cries have come before me and we must do something about it. Shall we let Abraham know that we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham goes, wait a second, what do you mean? The, the two men, he begs them to stay, but the two angels take off towards the valley and Abraham's standing there with the Lord. And he says, God, my, my nephew Lot, he's there. You, you, like, and, and then he begins the negotiation as if one could negotiate with God. And yet notice what happens. You'll read the text. Notice that when you read the text, you realize that Abram, Abraham feels as if he's in a negotiation. He goes, hey, hey, suppose, suppose there were 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? The, the Lord says, yeah, I would spare it. Yeah, I would. He goes, okay, I don't want to make you mad, uh, uh, but could I speak one more time? Abram's, Abraham's beginning to, to think about the city itself. He's beginning to think about who he knows there, and he's starting to count, and he's going, I don't think I could get, I don't think I could get to 50. Uh, suppose, suppose, you know, five of the 50, 50 didn't have it up to snuff. Would you spare it for 45? He's like, yeah, I'd spare it for 45. It's okay. Listen, I, I don't want you to do, and he begins to question God at every turn. He begins to ask the question to his face. God, are you just? Can you, you're the creator of the universe. Would it be just for you to destroy Sodom Gomorrah and destroy the innocent along with the wicked? He begins to question the justice and nature of God. He's saying, you've created all things. You hold all things together. How could you destroy innocent people along with the wicked? God, would you do it for 30 he goes, yeah, I'd spare it for 30. Abram's going, all right, all right, all right. That's good, all right, all right. That's good, that's good, that's good. Um, I don't want to make you angry, but I'd like to bring this up again. Um, again. Would you spare it for 10? Would you, would you spare the many on account of the the negotiation of God. Abram keeps going, God, would you? And the answer from God has always been, has always been some negotiation. Some negotiation. And then he goes on his way. Genesis 19 starts and the two angels are at the gate. Lot has made his way in the city. He's, he's somehow the gatekeeper of the city. He went from a sojourner there, someone of refuge, and, and they find that he, he at least is, is the, uh, the, the better of the least. And so they make him the gatekeeper. He seems harmless compared to all of the others. And he gets there and these striking men, these striking angels that have appeared to men, these miraculous beings show up to the city. It causes a stir. And Lot in his heart somehow knows that 
They are special. Somehow he knows that they are angels of the Lord. He doesn't fully understand. Somehow he knows. And he says, come here, will you come into my house? Will you stay with me? I do not want terrible things. He's aware. He's a gatekeeper for it. Think about it. He's a gatekeeper in a city that he's made his bed in. He's decided. And then when men come, he's so afraid of what would happen in his city that he's the gatekeeper of. So he says, once you come into my house, I can protect you there. And they're like, we're just going to hang out in the courtyard if that's all right with you. It's like, no, 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 you, you got to come with us. It wouldn't be good for you to hang out in the courtyard. This is not a place that you hang out after dark. This is not a place that you want to be. And yet this is a place where Lot's raising his family. Yet this is a place where he has two daughters and a wife, a couple son-in-laws, Men are getting ready to marry his daughters, betrothed, fiancés. He goes into the house, he brings these men, but somehow from the time they made it from the gate to Lot's house, there's an uproar of older men and younger men in the city, and they want to find because they want to have their way with these men. In the worst kind of scenario, They go, no, 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 where are those men? They go to the door of Lot and they begin to bang on the door. They go, hey, where are those men? Where were they at? I saw them at the gate. We'd like to have a conversation with them. It's as if the scenario is a couple new guys have entered into a prison and the men in charge of the prison I'd like to let these men know who's in charge. Debauchery and sexual perversion is in the heart and core of this city. Every old man and every young man, this is the story. They begin to bang on the door. They begin to say, we want to have our way with these men. Open the door lot. Who do you think you are? You were a sojourner. We made you the gatekeeper. We made you the gatekeeper because we knew we could manipulate you. We knew you were weak. We knew that you were just out for your own pleasure. You were just trying. Yeah, you you didn't want to get into the debauchery. You just want to be near enough to it that you could do whatever you wanted. No, 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 give him to us. And this is the preposterous part of the story, the gripping part of the story. Here's what Lot's conclusion comes to, the corruptness of his mind, leaving Abraham's tent. You know what he says? You know what his solution is? He says, I got two daughters. They've never been with a man before. You can have them and have your way with these two daughters, my two daughters. Spare these men who've come under my house. And you think back of God negotiating. Ten. God. God knows the hearts of men. And here's Lot. Who his negotiation. Is to give up his daughters. Then the men, these angels. I think the story, they were never in jeopardy. They were never in trouble. What the story does is reveal the hearts of men. Begins to show us that there are dark places. There are wicked people. The idea that men at the heart of them are good. No, no, no. They are wicked above all else. And we need a heart 
transformation, friends. See, this is where communism and socialism loses its savor because even if you agree with the economics, the anthropology is off, friends, to think that men can, can achieve power and will not go to corruption and manipulation and domineer and lord over. We have lost cabin pressure, friends. We need a heart transformation. The angels of the Lord blind the men at the door. They go blind, stricken. They can't even find the door handle. And then they begin to plot to tell Lot, Lot, you need to come with us. The city's going to be destroyed. And God has made a way of escape for you. But you have to come. There is a way of escape. This is the way. You must come with us. And he has to decide, do I leave the life that I've had? Do I leave what I've built? Do I leave my, my I've went off, I've chose this. I, I thought this was gonna be pleasing. I, I thought it was pleasing to the eye. This is where I'm going. Lot, you must come with us. Tell your future son-in-laws, tell your daughters, come with us. They finally get up. He says, don't look back. Tell your wife, tell no one. There's nothing here. There's nothing here for you. And the story goes on that they run out of the city. Lot's wife looks back. Somehow it tells us that she was burnt up, turned into a pillar of salt. She's, she's a casualty in the destruction of the city. And they run off and flee. Then Lot negotiates. He's like, hey, they're like, you got to come to the hills. You got to go here. He's like, can I, just, can I just go to another smaller city that has, is a little less, less bad? This is the story. But you can see the humanity. You can see the negotiation. You can see yourself in the text. It's not that, I mean, it's not that. Could I just go over here and hang out over here? Could I just be a part of this? The story doesn't go good for Lot. God saves Lot. God spares Lot. He gives us an example. All of a sudden, we back up and we begin to ask the story. What is, what is God trying to teach us through this? What questions arise and this question of, is God just? Because at first glance, you read the story and you go, man, God, you're going to destroy an entire city. And then the text allows you in on, on the full range of mentality of this particular city. And you have to wrestle with the question is, could you believe in a God who was not just? You know, oftentimes I hear people, they, they say, they're like, I could never believe in a God who would have a hell. And my, my response is, friend, you could never believe in a God where there was no hell. You could never believe in a God who's not a ferocious father who loves his kids. You know, I watched uh, a few years ago, there, there was an award show that uh, the, the, the great Chris Stapleton, come on somebody. Right. 
East Kentucky boy was singing at an award show, and he has this song, and he has a song entitled, Devil's Gonna Watch Them Burn. And on the stage, in, in the middle, you're starting to go, what is this song about? And he begins to talk about the Vegas shooter. He begins to talk about the man who walked into a synagogue and bombed a group of worshipers. He begins to talk of anybody who walks into a church and then a black gospel choir begins to sing the gospel in the reality of hell, saying if there are those wicked ones and evil ones who have done evil and debauchery, He's beginning to announce, and no one in a secular society at an award show uh, with atheists and secularists in the room, no one's going, I, could, I, I don't know about this hell. I don't like this idea of hell. No, you love it. When it's someone else or someone wicked, someone who's hurt, when someone you go, no, 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 no. I, I, man, those people... Can you believe what's happening over there? Have you heard the stories of, of, of human trafficking? Have you heard the stories of what happens to young children? Have you heard the story? It will infuriate you and you go, who's going to do something about this? Because that's reality. That's what the story causes you to wrestle with. And we're left with, what do I do? What do I do? What can I learn? What does this mean? All the questions that begin to swirl and I wrestle with and you wrestle with. Here's what I begin to see from the text that somehow, even in this story of judgment and wrath and terror, it starts with a negotiation of a man who's crying out, God, would you be merciful even to wicked people? Think, of it, think, think about the cry of Abraham and remember it was God who started the conversation. Remember, it was God who stirred Abraham to have this debate and this wrestle. It was God who said, should we let him in? on the conversation and he begins to negotiate and yet at every turn what does God say he'll do will you be merciful yes will you make a way of escape yes would you spare the many in this case on the count of a few yes and the Bible lets us in on the character and nature of God, this story that God has been writing from beginning to end. Will God spare the many because of the one? And the answer is yes. For by grace, unmerited, undeserved, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Leave it boast, but this is a gift from God. See, Romans begins to tell us this. Romans tells us that because of Adam, because of Adam's sinned, all have died and death has reigned. 
But because of one man's gift, one man's sacrifice, all have received life. And Jesus is better than Adam. He's a second Adam, better than Adam. And because of the one, here's the conversation God is beginning to let you in on from Genesis to Revelation, that he would send his son to be righteous. He says, would you spare for just a few righteous? And God announces in the New Testament, I will spare everyone on account of not just a few, but one righteous. This is the gospel. This is the story of Christ. How does God forgive sinners? Because of one righteous. None of us could do it. The problem with what we see in Sodom, the problem in what we see in Lot, is many times we can see our own self in the sinfulness of men that we read. The reality is, is the same sin and evil I see in the world, oftentimes the very same sin looking me in the face. See, oftentimes Sodom and Gomorrah gets attributed purely to sexual sin and purely homosexual sin. Friend, the problem is sin. And that takes all kinds of forms. And sexual sin can be the top of the list. Why? Because it, it says, God, I don't care about your design. I care about me. I want, I want, I want to feel good. I, I, I want mine. I, I want to pursue what I want no matter who it hurts. See, that's even how we'll judge sin. And listen, friends, we have to be careful in the church. The, the, the judgment of God must start with us because we look at Sodom and Gomorrah. We say this was the sin of homosexuality. We, we say this, this, is what, uh, th this is what destroyed the city. And no, friends, it was the wickedness of men who, who would have no regard for human life and they would take from others. Lot's no different. He's going to offer up his daughters. What's happened is the corruption of the heart because the mind is not set on things above. Friends, you realize that your mind can begin to shape you from your eyes and your ears and your world and it will begin to corrupt you to the very innermost parts of your being. You notice that your thoughts, <laughs> that's not how your thoughts work, right? Your, th your, your thoughts become your words. <laughs> People are moved. They've heard this bit before, right? <laughs> Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits are what you're known for. That's called your character. And your character will determine where you're going. Or in other words, your belief will drive your behavior. What you think about. See, the psalmist says it like this. What was the problem with Lot? What can we learn here is Lot pitched his tent in Sodom. That's where he wanted to be, friend. And it says he chose it by his eyes. He saw that it was pleasing and good. Look, that looks like a good time down there. I want to be with those people. You ever, you ever 
thought, man, I, I like that, right? Here's what Psalms 1 says, and I think here's the lesson that we can learn from this grand story. Genesis 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man who, who walks not in the way of sinners, who, who, does not, uh, 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 who does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stands in the place of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. Now, now think about how this progression works. Oftentimes what will happen is, is we can find ourselves within a particular situation and we can feel as though we can, we can get close to it. But as long as we're walking with it, we can kind of get away from it quick, right? Like, ah, man, yeah, I was hanging out over there. Yeah, 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 no, I know they don't share our same beliefs, but man, we're just, it's just barbecue, right? Just having a good time, right? Like, you know, it's not, I can, at any time I can say, hey, I, I don't want to be a part of that. I can move away. But here's what you'll find is if you walk near something long enough, you kind of start standing around. What were you guys talking about? You're fine. You used to walk past the break room. You used to walk past that conversation that was happening over there. When you heard, you used to walk past, you're like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I know what they're talking about. That talked about. And all of a sudden you start standing around and then you'll find yourself comfortable. You'll take a seat. This is how pattern of sin works. Lot didn't start out in a place where he was just going to offer his daughters up to men at the door. He walked with the entire community. He walked in a city whose ethic and king was not God. See, sometimes I, I, can, I can realize that, that, that my company, bad company, can corrupt good Have we forgot this? We don't even want to say this, right? Bad company can, can corrupt good morals. We've, we forgot those adages. We forgot those sayings. We, we disagree with them anymore, maybe because now we've started standing around a little more. And we go, well, I don't want to be unloving. To walk away from that is unloving. I don't want them to feel rejected. I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm judging them. And oftentimes we forget. We go, I want to love them. Love is truth, friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful is the one who sees a man in his sin and goes, man, turn the other way. The bridge is out. There's no hope in this direction. Love is announcing to the world that God is king and there is no other way. And friends, you should bow at his feet and accept his way of escape and his mercy because he will spare you because of his one and only son. He will, make, he will forgive you and he will make a way for you.
Romans 9 says it this way. Romans 9 quotes Isaiah. And Romans 9 says, if it wasn't for the descendants, God's descendants, all of us would have resulted in the same folly, in the same result. If the Lord of hosts had not left us his offspring, we would have been like Sodom and became like Gomorrah. What does that mean? It means if it wasn't for Jesus creating a new heart in us. This is Romans 9. It comes after Romans 8, which says that we have received the spirit of adoption where we are the children of God. What does that mean? Is that if it wasn't for his son and if it wasn't for his offspring, we would be left like Sodom and Gomorrah to our own folly. See, I think there's a constant question that goes around now is does God still judge cities? Does God bring disasters? You ever had that debate? Man, I remember being at a Christian college in 05 when Katrina hit New Orleans. And I remember people so callously and hard-hearted in their thinking. So you know why? You know why Katrina? It's Mardi Gras. I think that just happened recently. Anyways, um... You know, it's, it's, it's the voodoo. You know why the Haiti earthquake? Man, I don't know if you've heard these conversations and people begin to say, this is what happened. My wife brought that back to my attention. You know what? You know what no one said when tornadoes ripped through the Midwest? When floods hit East Kentucky? when an ice storm hit Texas? We have to be careful that God is God and you are not. That's good good news. Friends, be careful. Here's what the Bible tells me in the New Testament, that God has appeased the wrath of God by the cross of Jesus Christ. You wanna see the wrath of and justice of God? You look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He is fulfilled and appeased. Why? So that we could trust him and be found blameless. But there is a reality here. There are some places that are left to their own demise. Is it God or is it a result of walking away from God? There are cities in full disarray who've decided that secularism, there are countries that that move away from God and go towards secularism and say, no, 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 there is no God. We are our own gods and chaos ensues. And there is no ethic, there is no standard. There is no uh, value of the individual and human dignity because you're made in the image of God and government did not give you your rights. So government cannot take them away. I've read this somewhere before. 
And so, yes, there are results of cities moving into disarray. And you may say it's like Sodom and Gomorrah, and they will be left to their own demise. They will implode on themselves because outside of the order of God, God has brought order to the cosmos. God has brought order to chaos. And when we move away from God's standard and his way, you will pursue into chaos. Friend, if you want God out of your marriage, it will be chaotic. If you want God out of your human sexuality, it will end in demise, friend. If you think that you can just take and do and you can make up your own rules, it will be chaos. If you think you can raise your children to believe anything about human sexuality and design and you don't think that their heart and their soul will be plunged in chaos and you will offer them up to the waters of the deep and hope that they know how to swim. If you think that they can be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and they won't inhale the waters of sin and they will drown in the chaos that you've offered them up, there is an ark, there is a way. Is your family on it? Are you with, are you following his way? Have you decided that you can chart your own course? And then, friends, the realization is, I still have sin in my life. How about you? So before I criticize the world, I had to clean my room. Before, before I take and try to get the plank out of someone else's, or, or the, the, the speck out of someone else's eye, I got to deal with the plank in my own I'm going to allow God to judge and I speak the truth and I love and I, 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 I persuade and I say there's a way and I plead. But in my own life, I have to address the sin that I will deal with until I see Jesus face to face. Because I'm aware that there's an old me. I, I, I know that guy. And so friends, let me, let me say that we have to be careful. We have no leg to stand on when we begin to point fingers and criticize the world and the church has been riddled with our own sexual sin. So you have to watch what you're feeding, what's going into your mind. This, uh, this past week I was... Uh, my buddy Paul and I, we, we got up early morning and we, and we went surfing and we got there before the sun came up and, and it was cold. And uh, it's, like, it's like 40 uh, degrees outside. The water temp was like 50. And, and we're in my van and, and I, I got this van. Many of you know that I, I've been building out the back of it as like a camper. And, and some of the motivation was to try to, to, we got too many kids and all our family lives on the other side of the country. So it's like, we bought this van. We're, we're, we're you know, we're not going to fly with kids. And then we're like, we're a drive with kids. Like, <laughs> what are we thinking? Right. And, and so we're in the back of this van and, and my buddy and I, uh, we're, we're back in the back and we get into our wetsuits and it, it's, it's cold. And you know, it's awesome because I got the, the high roof so you can, you can stand up in, not that I need much room for that. Uh, 
And, uh, and I got this little, little propane heater on the back of, of I got the, the, the bench seat and then the back of the camper. And, uh, uh, my, my friend, uh, Mark Thompson, uh, who is an avid camper, he's at the Lompo campus today. And I know people are always asking like, who's this Mark Thompson that's in the sermons. He's there today at the Lompo campus and you're going to find him and you're going to bombard him and love on him and say, thank you for giving Sam a hard time every day of his life. <laughs> He hates when I call him out like that, but you know what, Mark? Uh, it's just what it is. So he told me about this, like this little heater, uh, th- this third wave heater thing, and it's a propane heater you use in the camper. He did all this research about it, and I was talking to my friend Paul. He has a van too, and, and we were talking about. I was like, "Hey, do you ever camp in the snow in your van? Because we're going to take a trip." And I'm, I just insulated the back. I'm thinking, man, and it's cold right now, and I'm like, man, if it's going to be like three degrees on the mountain, I'm freezing in forty in the back of this thing right now. This isn't warm, and 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 I was like, uh, I got this heater. You should check out this this heater. He's like, oh yeah, aren't you worried about emissions and stuff like that? And I, I'm like, no man, it's great. Uh, it, it, it's awesome. And, and I was like, you just fired up like this. And I turned on the gas and I, I heard a little more hissing than I normally would. And, uh, and, and I clicked the button twice and all of a sudden a fire flame ball comes up about two feet. Vroom, and also my buddy Paul's like, the, va- the van's over. Like he was going out the back, right? Like he opened the door. I look back, like, you just go leave me in there to like he's like man I thought your towel was on fire I thought we were going up we we're just gonna watch your sprinter van on the side of the road just you know like and and, and it was probably it felt like an eternity but but it's probably like seven seconds and and, and what had happened is I kind of had this thing on a chain that my buddy Mark told me I should have but that chain wouldn't allow me to move the, the, the heater away from the bench. And so I pull it away and all I'm doing is moving this fi- this fire that because of me driving with this heater, uh, the connection hose had just loosened just a bit. And so it's basically acting like a torch. The gas had came up beside of me and it's just burning the propane that's coming out of the hose. And, and, and it hits me, turn the gas off. Right? Like, like, oh, oh. like my buddy Kellen, the firefighter is going to have a, his way with me, man. Like, what were you thinking, man? Like, what were you doing? In a split second, I just turned the gas off. The flame went up. So, all right, that worked. It was this close to being horrible, Right? Like no harm, nothing. The towel was fine. The back of the bench was fine. Like I was saying, we just paneled this thing out. Like there's so much more flammable stuff in here. Like this was going bad really quick. And you know what took it away? Turn the gas off. If you don't feed the flame, trying trying to put a fire out, You got an issue that you can't seem to get over? You got a sin problem? You got a lust problem? You got an envy problem? Stop feeding the flame. 
Stop getting near it. Stop walking around it. Stop trying to get as close as you can to ideologies and doctrines of demons. Stop trying to stand near the flame. Stop putting fuel on it. You want to stop the chaos in your heart. Stop feeding the flame. Kill it. Kill it. Get serious about killing sin in your life. Shut the fuel off. What can I learn from this story? Lot decided to pitch his tent in a city of corruption. You know what? We live in a fantastic place, friend. It's an amazing place. But you know how we continue for this community to thrive is we continue to honor God. We begin to raise our children and in in train them in the ways they should go. We don't because of, of, of social pressure. We don't because it's culturally relevant put ourselves in and near conversations and ideology where demons get to preach sermons to you and convince you that he's not God and he's not in charge and you can do whatever you want. We continue to raise our families. We create a pocket of heaven right here, right now. And then we invite people onto the ark. We invite people into the church we invite them and say, hey, come with us. It's better. You got questions about human sexuality? You got questions about gender? You got questions about this and that? Let us teach you the way. Follow us as we follow Christ. Come with us. It's better. But you got to be convinced. And you got to be diligent in your own life. That's all I got to say about that. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to shut the fuel to all the flames in my life. Let me be crucified with you so I can live with you and for you. Help me not to point my finger at others. Let me stop trying to chart my own waters. Don't let me throw my children up to the chaotic waves of culture. But let me fortify the walls. Let me man the ship in this big ark of the cross of Jesus Christ that you've made a way of salvation and will serve you and you alone. For you spare the many for this, because of the gift of the one, the one righteous, you've made a way of salvation for us. And we thank you and we praise you. Let us not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Let us not stand in the place of sinners. Let us not take a seat and pitch our, our tent in Sodom. Let us walk with you, run with you, thrive, mount up on wings like eagles and soar. We thank you. We praise you. Let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, 
Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?